Welcome to the Third Turn Podcast and our conversation on long-term legacy and leadership. I'm Jeanette Robert, Executive Director of Expansion with the Employee Care Service Marketplace Chaplains. I'm joined by Mark L. Vincent. Hello. Who is the founder of Design Group International and the Society for Process Consulting. He also directs the Convene Consulting Network and facilitates maestro-level leaders out of which we're launching this podcast. Jennifer Miller, who runs our marketing consulting firm, Strategically Connected, is our producer. I think my word hello was about the first word I've uttered out of my mouth this morning, Jeanette, just, uh, early here, yeah. and that's about the first things we're doing. But I'm really pleased to join you as we develop this podcast for leaders who really care about the highest level capacity that they can develop. Mm-hmm. And in this first podcast, we're going to just lay some groundwork for what we hope is a long and a strong partnership between us so that we can provide a resource for that advanced executive leader who's focused on developing future value, a very strong succession, and a lasting legacy. And you've heard me use the phrase already, this is for mm-hmm. our grandchildren's grandchildren and the grandchildren's grandchildren of others. That's a way to picture what we're after. Yeah, we're excited to continue this conversation. And really, before we go any further, uh, Mark, can you walk us through what is meant by the third turn? Sure. And the third turn really um, is the title of the podcast mm-hmm. we chose. So it'd be good for yeah. to explain it a little bit here. So uh, there's a way to map out executive leadership development that uh, follows what we would call three turns. And in the first turn, a person is learning learning the capacity of their self, uh, their boundaries, their capacities, or developing their talents. Uh, they really have to uh, show up and make it happen and prove to others that they are responsible and capable. And they can follow the patterns that are established and do the work. Uh, I've gotten, I've become fond of calling turn one uh, the artisan mm-hmm. level because that's what artisans do. They're, they're making that you know, ceramic bust at the way they were taught and showing that they can do it without flaw. And when someone really does that well, uh, they begin to be asked, will you help? Will you mentor someone? Will you take on this project? Will you manage things? And if they keep growing in those capacities mm-hmm. and their personal disciplines, they're showing up at work, getting it done. Uh, some of those folks will be invited to lead organizations. Uh, to take on the whole P&L, for mm-hmm. instance, to be the general manager, to be the CEO, uh, certainly in a C-suite kind of a position. And at that point, that vertical that they have been growing in maybe as a, oh, let's say, marketer or as a salesperson or as an engineer, that uh, becomes a horizontal uh, line of sight for them because now they're responsible for the whole thing including all of those other verticals that they have no expertise in. So now they have to lead the organization and they have to lead the people and they will succeed if they keep learning. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that really fail here because they try to do what they've always done. They try to trade on their expertise uh, and they're in a new context and they got new responsibilities and they certainly don't know everything. And if they don't strip off that God complex, it sometimes comes with success uh, they're going to fail. And so this this horizontal um, uh, growth arc that they're in now is what we would call turn two. And we call it sort of an artistry level because now they're bringing their own vision to it and they have to work with others to make it happen. Uh, other artisans, for instance, other people who are in their first turn. 
So if this person succeeds in that second turn and they are able to bring people behind them who really develop operational excellence and are taking care of the current value of the organization, a turn three can begin. Mm. And in turn three, this person becomes what we might call a maestro. They are bringing the composer and the conductor and the musicians together. They're bringing mm. the designers and the manufacturers together. They're, they're bringing them together, not just to manage the current value, but to think about the future value. And when that maestro level leader is in that third turn, they're facing outward again into chaos, not into things that are figured out, but into things that aren't known yet. Uh, trying to figure out what's that future product mix? How do we set this up so that when there's a successor, they're not harmed? The value of the company doesn't go down. The, the ways that will work now are, are even more geared to help the world flourish. And it becomes about the next generations even more fully than ever before. And I, I think you can note from what I'm describing that these turns overlap. Mm, They're yeah. not hard and fast and different. But over time, when someone figures themselves out and then figures out how to lead others and others are working happily, it provides a new capacity to look outward and upward and beyond and to soar in a, in a new way. So it's really important here that we don't think of this as a journey going from an inferior place to a superior place. It's really a journey of preference. Mm -hmm. A person might choose to be an excellent artisan. They might really love running an organization until they're done and they're going to do something else. But there are others for whom this is a platform from which they're going to take off and really bring a new degree of impact to the world and for generations mm -hmm. to come. And we want to be a resource uh, for people like that, as well as a resource for people in whatever turn they're in. Hey, Jeanette, as we get these conversations yeah. started, we've talked about letting uh, the, our audience know about our own leadership journeys, kind of how we've worked our way through these turns and where we find ourselves today. So I, I would like you to just kind of walk through your journey and tell us kind of where you're landing in these turns as I've described them and let us know how you got yeah, there. Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, in hearing you talk about the turn one, kind of being this artisan role as a leader, turn two, stepping into more of that artist, and then the turn three of the maestro uh, leader, I, I envision myself as that canvas, you know, just as a, as really a piece of art that is constantly getting different colors put on it. And, but yet when I step back, there's something there. And when I think of the turn one, I think about really this learning leadership journey that I've been on in life. Uh, I've had a number of opportunities, um, even as a young person uh, to step into leadership roles that were really more delegated to me. And in that it was learning, like you were saying, a lot of who I am. Now at the time, I really maybe wasn't identifying oh yeah, this is you know some of my strengths and my weaknesses. I really wasn't really looking a whole bunch. It was just gaining opportunity, go as you go, you know, just taking on a responsibility sure. and stepping into it and uh, watching whether it be a team grow, whether it be, um, uh, you know, many times I was in volunteer projects where you're leading teams of people, doing things in the community, just things like that. And in that learn learning journey of leadership, having many failures, <laughs> learning a lot of ways not mm -hmm. to say things sure. and then how to say things. Um, but when I look at a turning from turn one to turn two, in my own journey um, as an individual, as a business a woman, also as a, a 
aspiring leader in different areas, understanding influence and understanding many times in our society, it's with title, but many times when dealing with people, a lot of times as a leader, it has been more, not so much title, but how I treat others and how I look at them as a part of the team. And so when I turn into the management journey, um, I look at the artisan role for me as that management journey and not just managing uh, projects and teams, but managing relationships, whether they be directly mm. reporting to me or whether they be um, uh, uh, colleagues or whether they be people that I'm reporting to. And so in that, I look at myself as the artist of really learning how to artfully manage relationships. <laughs> and a lot of that is challenging right. because I need to know who I am. I need to understand look inward, you know? And so even as you said about this artisan and, and this whole, you, know, you think about, wow, it is, I got to stay teachable. And so for me, when I look at, mm -hmm. I feel as though many times I'm still in turn one, cause I'm like, Ooh, okay. I responded this way. Maybe I should, you know, so this whole intertwining of, of these turns. And then as I look to the turn three, it, for me, it's more of an aspiration, like aspiring. However, I do okay. see in different different areas or pockets of, of leadership that I'm responsible for right now, I do see that sometimes I'm actually, in a way, almost maestro. And it's in a, on a small level, but it might be that one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. It might be um, with a team where uh, we've just gotten to a certain place where, oh, wow, I've kind of turned. But I'm still in, a, in the midst of an aiming towards that maestro level leader in wherever I get placed. Um, and when I think of like, when you talk about the maestro, it's, it kind of almost is like you're living the artisan, the artist, the maestro, but you're layering in this contributing and coaching this, 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 you know, from yes, the journey, but also staying in a learning posture. And like you said, almost thinking of strat strategies that come because of the journey, but then that is a fresh perspective looking for the generations, like you were saying, the, the grandchildren, your grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren. I mean, you could just go on and on and on. And that gives a bigger aim right. for the future. Uh, so that's kind of how I see, you know, I know it's kind of, it all kind of intertwines, but but the reality is that whole, the purpose of this podcast is that third turn and understanding that either the aim or recognizing, wow, I'm in this right now. You know, who, who where am I at? And so for you, Mark, when you look at yourself in turn one, turn two, turn three, what has been your journey in these turns? Oh, I'm glad to share it, Jeanette. And I found myself thinking as you were talking about how important learning mm -hmm. is in all three of these turns and how when someone says, I know stuff already, or let's do it the way I did it there, or I got to clear out this team so I can bring in my team mm -hmm. because of what we did at, at company XYZ, that that's that really if you're awake to it that becomes a sign that this person's stuck uh that they're this is where they're topping out um and they're not doing it because they are self-aware ready to to say i want to do more of what i've done and i want to do it uniquely here and i keep learning about this place they're just saying i want to mail it in uh i just want to trade off of what i know and you you have exemplified how learning and you described it learning is what you needed throughout mm -hmm. as you move through these and you you got at the layers of it. And I, I think that layering is a great way to describe my own journey. I, I started out uh, out of college uh, as an associate minister. And uh, my primary responsibility was neighborhood organization. It was inner city. Uh, I was in a very underserved community. And uh, I later became that congregation's senior pastor. So 
my turn one and turn two got layered in pretty mm-hmm. quick. So even as I'm uh, discovering who I am and what my capacities are, I'm being invited to help uh, a uh, an urban congregation in a troubled neighborhood, high unemployment at the time. It was 16, 17% in the city. And we were about double that in our, our neighborhood uh, because um, of the way some of the old industries had closed up and a lot of the people in our neighborhood had worked there. And now they were uh, without any employment at all. And they were standing in line to get money to be able to pay the utilities. And it was terrible. I mean, they'd get in at about 3.30 in the morning and um, stand in line. Hopefully they get in before they shut the line off at about nine in the morning. And then, you know, it was a full-time job just to be able to get your electric bill paid for. And that was the kind of environment we were in and figuring things out. And we actually uh, engaged in an experience that for me was my first one ever with entrepreneurship. We started the original latchkey tutoring program connected to five area elementary schools at the time and uh, helped some kids stay in school, helped them learn to read, uh, helped their families out. And along the way then, you know, I'm, I'm learning about all this stuff. I went ahead and completed a, a master's degree at the time. And hey, you know, uh, the church held together and we got this thing launched and I was looking at my capacities and we were rah, rah. And, uh, but I became aware, I really, didn't have the skill set for what they would need next. I would either need to go back to school or I'd have to have someone uh, helping me in a significant way. And the congregation wasn't of a size where we could just bring in another staff person mm-hmm. easily. So it made sense to step down and go elsewhere. And that's kind of where my turn two began. I ran a regional conference center uh, connected to the denomination I was a part of. Uh, they had a very large, one of the largest in the state of Michigan, uh, environmental education program. It had gone underwater, and we spent a couple of years getting that profitable again, so we could do it next year also, which is a very important business yeah. concept. Uh, and then then uh, we also developed uh, a year-round program for what had traditionally been a summer camp. Uh, and you know, I, was, I had about 50 full-time and seasonal employees that were working with me there. Uh, and from there, I was tapped to come run a very large uh, international educational initiative around uh, stewardship theology and practice. And this grew from some of the master's work I had been doing back in turn one. It had just gotten some enough notoriety that I was asked, would you come lead this mm-hmm. thing? And it became quite the deal. Uh, you know, it was a publishing endeavor. I got to write a couple of books. Uh, and in that, I, it really helped to develop the model for organizational development uh, that we use um, in the process consulting model that we use in Design Group International, mm-hmm. which my uh, first wife, who's now deceased, and I uh, founded in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And so turn two uh, started with this, hey, would you come run this conference center program to this international initiative to landing on starting a firm uh, around process consulting and organizational development ran that for 20 years and just a year and a half ago turned that over to a successor who's already taken it beyond anything i ever could have done it's exciting and uh in that process you know moved into what would be my third turn mm-hmm. so at this time you know i've developed a peer-based advising team connected to convene in milwaukee mm-hmm. and uh shortly i'll be turning that over to a successor i'm very excited about that we've got that well established now and I've launched a consulting network in partnership with Convene, so another national consulting endeavor around process consulting. And I do this as the founder mm-hmm. of Design Group International. So I, I really have a lot of, of uh, space and capacity now 
to look outward and say, how do we develop this field of process consultants so others can have a really good and storied career? Mm -hmm. And how do I work more with people who are moving into that third turn themselves and help them figure it out? Because this is unmapped territory. Mm -hmm. There's not a curriculum you follow and plug in the numbers and voila, there's your your deal, just do that. They They have to figured out, but it's good to not be alone as they do. And so in these next years to come, this podcast, uh, a cohort for maestro level leaders uh, and some other work that I'll be doing is where I'll get to spend some time. And I really do want to do that with the grandchildren's grandchildren Mm. of others uh, in mind. Yeah, no. Yeah. And this is, this is really the key of the third term podcast and, and really in future episodes, we are going to be unpacking, uh, the three turns that we've been discussing. And then we're inviting others into the conversation and interviewing um, mm-hmm. various leaders who find themselves in that maestro level third turn place and really hearing their stories, hearing how yeah. they've turned yeah. and then gaining nuggets uh, together. And uh, mm-hmm. we we also, uh, both Mark and I, we, we we're going to end these podcasts really with three questions uh, that everybody who gets a chance to be interviewed and be a part of the conversation, we're going to ask them the same three questions, but we're going to take the opportunity to start with us. And uh, so Mark, you are going to go first. (laughs) So our first, what we call turning point question number one is Mark, if you were to have pursued any other vocation, what first comes to mind and why does that come to mind? Oh, you know, I think people who have some creative bent probably have 30 such things. They think, right. oh, I would have loved to have done that. <laughs> but the one that the ones that bubble to the top for me would have been some kind of job in the newspaper business where, you know, you get to write a column a week and you're paid well for it. You know, mm-hmm. Some high end op ed writer. I, I would have loved that. I, I really like the artistry of a short essay mm. and uh, that would appeal to me. Um, also, um, I've dabbled at cartooning. Huh. I'm better at writing uh, the cartoon than I am at drawing okay. a cartoon, but I, I really enjoy uh, the life that um, I've seen others have as they've done it. And of course, you can burn out after years if you have to do you know, oh, seven panels a week and that kind <laughs> right. of thing. But, but I, I, you know, there, there's my sense of humor kind of runs that way. And I, I would have enjoyed that, that partly because they're creative outlets. Mm-hmm. And I, I've also found Jeanette, that when I am in some kind of, um, oh, let's say just a stressor kind of chapter in life, things have to get turned around. Uh, I certainly lived in plenty of, with plenty of stress as my mm-hmm. wife was ill for so long uh, that um, being creative in this way, you know, scribbling some kind of doodle down or outlining a short essay were ways that helped me stay healthy. Mm-hmm. It was a way to take that energy that would come from feeling helpless and put it to work. So I, I think that's one other reason why it, it bubbled uh, to the top. Huh. How about for you, Jeanette, if you if you were to pursue something other than the business career you've been in now working with marketplace mm-hmm. chaplains, uh, what, what would what what might? You yeah, you know, as a young person, I um, I knew that I always wanted to do some sort of missions work. Uh, but when I look at what I would have 
ideally probably pursued was journalism. And the thing with journalism, I didn't necessarily want to be a newscast person where I always talked about negative things. I saw myself as a newscast person talking about all the positive things in the world. And so I don't know where that place would have been, but maybe I would have developed my own network. I have no idea. But when I think about my original, like what, what have I pursued other than kind of where my, my path went. Uh, but I think, like you said, I still have this passion to learn more about journalism and to learn more about whether, like you're saying, it's still there, but it's not necessarily that I'm doing something that I'm doing professionally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. And, and maybe in some way, what we're doing here will be uh, a means for that hey, creativity to get put There you go. We can have a lot of fun doing this. And I, I sure look forward to more of this Agreed. with you. And I guess I'm going to take question okay. two and ask you first. Uh, so this is a little bit more deep, I think. Uh, what What is a valuable leadership lesson that you wish you had learned sooner? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, my, my very first introduction into a leadership role in management was with the Nordstrom Company. And I was, uh, it was during fourth quarter, busiest season, and I was actually running a gift department inside of Nordstrom that we had at the time. And I had to hire a bunch of people and I had to, you know, begin our stock and you know, just get going on, on all the things of managing my budget. And the art of delegation was something that I didn't necessarily have at the time and i did have i had mentors here and there but you know here i am i'm in my early 20s managing this department and ma managing these people and i did so much by myself because i'm like oh i'll just get it done mm -hmm. faster and blah, blah, blah. And i was not thinking of the bigger picture of what happens when i delegate as a leader developing other leaders and giving people opportunities to thrive and to, you know, that kind of thing so i know the art of delegation sure. for me has been something that i'm still learning but i've learned a lot since then and um, i wish that i would have learned that maybe like in high school wouldn't that have been great you know got did some kind of a program where you learn how to delegate so when you step into the business world you're honing in on something that you already have a good foundation so definitely that's something i can look to how about yourself what is something that would have been a valuable lesson that you wish you would have learned sooner yeah what you just talked about is um something that we have to figure out in turn one mm -hmm. as we're learning to lead ourselves, mm -hmm. right? And mine is the same. It's one of those turn one things that if you don't figure it out, um, then it's hard to move to turn two. And I, I want to be real careful mm -hmm. here before I say what mine was to, to point out that I, in either of these cases, um, figuring it out doesn't mean you're going from something broken to something that's resolved and that's fixed. You're making a choice about how you want to show up at work and who you're going mm -hmm. to be. And if you want to be that artisan and you really, really love it, uh, and, and the craftsmanship of what you're doing matters to you more than anything, well, then delegation might not be for you. It might be that front line, being that recognized worker, the one there you, you always call on who knows what That's a good point. Yeah. done. And, and you're, that, you're that person, like I saw yesterday, I was flying uh, in, in an airplane and, and they had to call a mechanic on who could look at, you know, a couple of dials and gadgets and press a couple of buttons and get paid really well to do it. Uh, but he doesn't have to be super personable. He has to be effective. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, so, uh, he delegation is probably not for him. He needs to be that expert delivering. Well, it's much the same for me because mine is, uh, I needed to learn restraint. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I, I'm a passionate person when I uh, want to get something done. I can be pretty calm on almost any other way, but when I'm ready to move, let's move, let's get this done. And I tended to think that leading was to be out in front, making something happen. And of course, a leader should be there doing it and not making any excuses about why they're not available or anything. They need to be doing the work, but they need to be able to know that others are lining up to help mm -hmm. them. Uh, that <laughs> that they're not sawing the limb behind them, uh, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I, I tended, I started out pretty enthusiastic about what we were doing, convinced we were right, uh, just assuming that other people would catch up or would see, um, you know, the error of their ways or their sure. flawed logic or something like that. And that meant I wasn't incorporating what uh, they cared about. Uh, they weren't allowed to be part of the solution. They were just supposed to help make the solution happen. Mm -hmm. And I made a lot of mistakes doing that. So that was uh, one I wish I had known known much, much yeah, sooner. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mark, um, this is our final question that I'm uh, going to ask. Um, and yeah. so, Mark, what is the current book that you're reading and why have you chosen to read it? Uh, I looked this up last night because I couldn't remember what volume I'm on. I'm in the fourth volume of Jack White's really long, I think it's an eight volume saga about uh, uh, Camelot huh. or uh, what he would call Camelot. So right. it's the... King Arthur legend retold from beginning to end. Uh, it's uh, just thousands of pages, creatively written, well-written. Uh, and his whole premise is what if King Arthur had been real? Like what if the legend mm. was real? What if the whole thing was plausible? If there really was a special sword or was this uh, goblet that everybody thought was the cup that Christ drank right. from and all of that as well as how Arthur would have uh, possibly represented all of the bloodlines of all of the peoples on the British Isles and what Camelot itself was intended to be. Well, it's set, you know, in about the 400s. So there's an awful lot of uh, history that's worked in, a lot of the, the intellectual development mm -hmm. of Christianity. Hmm. Uh, in fact, one, one of the essays I was just reading about was talking about why... Um, celibacy was viewed um, to be a, a powerful choice mm. that a person might make. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's an interesting thing to read about in this time right. and place uh, when uh, sexual liberation still is finding its way into all kinds of unique expressions. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I uh, am just really enjoying this deep dive into history uh, also as, as yeah. yeah. Um, how about you, uh, Jeanette? What are, what are you reading? Yeah, on? you know, this is a book that I've read in the past and it really rocked me as I read it. And then I've actually recently picked it back up because like I said before, when I, even when I'm thinking about the, the turns, turn one, turn two, turn, turn three, the book Emotionally Healthy, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, uh, it's written by Peter Scazzaro. Oh, yeah. And he has yeah. a series, you know, of, of this emotionally healthy um concept. And one thing that the reason that I enjoyed that book so much was because this gentleman, how he wrote this book, he talked about his own failures, recent ones, past ones. You know, I mean, this guy says, hey, here's where blind spots that I didn't even realize I had as a leader. Uh -huh. And whoa, yeah. this is what happened because of it. And I think for myself, as I read the book, I saw so many leaders I've sat under who have been emotionally un unhealthy. And I can look to the ones that uh -huh. have been emotionally healthy. And maybe at the time, I, I wouldn't have described them as emotionally healthy. But now I'm like, oh, wow, that person took time to look inward. And not even when they were in their turn two, even when they were in their turn three, they never 
never stop looking inward and doing a self check and then allowing people mm -hmm. to come in right. to their lives to say, hey, uh, you know, here's something that I'm seeing. And it's a total blind spot to that leader. But somebody of pure love comes in and says, hey, I want to help you. And here's something uh -huh. and being teachable to say, wow, I didn't even see it from that perspective. And it could be simple as an ism that we say all the time. Or it could be something even deeper that's right. affecting other people that we're leading right. and stewarding. And so I think the reason the Emotionally Healthy Leader for me has been just jumping back into something like that is a self-check to say, huh, where am I at? <laughs> okay, uh, how am I viewing this? Oh, you know. Wow. And so it's been, it's just been something that I've um, really enjoyed and um, have has influenced me. Well, that's great. Yeah. Hey, I'd like to add a comment yeah. to that just uh, before you wrap this right. up, Jeanette. Um, it's interesting that you brought this book up. Uh, it just was delivered uh, to my mailbox, mm. uh, The Emotionally Healthy Leaders, sent by uh, Convene. Um, Greg Leith, who's CEO yeah. of Convene, wants all of the Convene chairs who are working with CEOs and business owners all across the country to read this book. Mm. Uh, and then uh, at the next educational event this fall, which they'll be doing virtually, of course, Peter Scazzaro is a speaker. Yes. Uh, for all of these chairs, and it is the centerpiece of the subject um, for uh, that time together. And it's around, hey, uh, it's not just the emotional health, it's sort of like an emotional resilience, uh, particularly in a COVID era. Mm -hmm. And then if you are helping other leaders develop, if you, if you love leaders that love leaders, how do you do that? So it'll It'll be interesting. So that's that's the next book I, I've got. I'm supposed to read, and I I look forward. Awesome, to awesome. Well, on behalf on behalf of Mark and myself, we want to say thank you so much for listening. Again, I'm Jeanette Robert of Marketplace Chaplains with Mark L. Vincent, the facilitator for Maestro Level Leaders. If you would like to be considered for a Maestro Level Leader cohort, Mark, tell us where can our listeners go. Well, we have a simple website, maestrolevelleaders.com, and that's where you can get started and think with me if this is for you. Awesome. And we'd also love to hear of other Maestro Level Leaders that you'd like us to interview. You can share your ideas at thirdturnpodcast.com. Again, be sure to tune in to our next podcast where we will continue the conversation on long-term leadership and legacy.